1: Good morning, my name is Ennis and I'll be your conference operator today. At this time, I'd like to welcome everyone to the Auto Canada Second Quarter 2021 Earnings Call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question at that time, please press star followed by one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, please press the star followed by the two. I would like to remind everyone that certain statements in this presentation and on our our call are forward-looking in nature, including, among other things, future performance and the implementation in the Core Forward Plan. These include statements involving known and unknown risks, uncertainties, and other factors outside of management's control that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed in the forward-looking statement. AutoCAD does not assume any responsibility for the accuracy and completeness of the forward-looking statements and does not undertake any obligation to publicly revise these forward-looking statements to reflect subsequent events or circumstances. For additional information about possible risks, please refer to our IF, which is available on CDAR and our website within the Investor investor Documentation and Filing section. I will now turn the call over to
2: Mike Boris, Chief Financial Officer, please go ahead. Thank you, Anas. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on today's second quarter results conference call. For today's call, I'm joined by Paul Anthony, our Executive Chair, Michael Rollick, President of our Canadian Operations, Peter Hong, our Chief Strategy Officer, and Casey Charleston, our Vice President of Finance. We released our Q2 results after the market closed yesterday. A copy of our results is available for download on our website. For today's call, we will be discussing the current state of the business, discussing the financial results, and providing an update on both our Canadian and U.S. segments. With that, I'd like to turn it over to Paul.
3: Thank you, Mike, and good morning, everyone. We're thrilled to report yet another record-setting quarter. Powered by the team's continued unrelenting drive and focus on execution, our operations delivered strong second quarter results across almost every key metric, starting with revenue, where we recorded our highest second quarter figure of 1.3 billion through adjusted EBITDA of 70.5 million or 59.6 million on a pre-IFRS 16 basis, which was 1,360% better than Q2 last year. This is a tremendous performance from top to bottom. Obviously, comparing against the quarter that was impacted by the onset of COVID was a factor in the increase. However, this performance continues the trend of sustainable improvement in the execution of our complete business model and strategic initiatives. If we go back to Q2 2019, Our adjusted EBITDA on a pre-IFRS 16 basis was $23 million. Our current Q2 performance is ahead of that metric by 159%. Mike's going to get into this um, with his piece, but when you look back over the progress we've made over these last three years since this management team took over, you can look at a trailing 12 months adjusted EBITDA on a pre-IFRS 16 basis to the end of Q2 2021 of $176 million. That compares with the trailing 12 months results of 48 million to the end of q2 2019 those results reinforce the strength and resiliency of our business model particularly impressive was the strong performance of our u.s operations this was a breakout quarter as our newly appointed management team led by jim duvas drove a fundamental shift in the operating and sales culture while capitalizing on favorable market conditions. Significant strategic operational changes, including establishing a dedicated used vehicle team and actively top grading talent across all functional areas at the dealership level and our U.S. head office, positioned the U.S. well for selling season and led to improved metrics on multiple fronts. Specifically, the U.S. increased used retail unit sales to 1,797 units, from 693 in the prior year, an improvement of 159%, and supported the improvement in their used to new ratio to 0.77 from 0.69 in the prior year. They also reported normalized adjusted EBITDA of $7.7 million in Q2 2021 against 0.9 million reported in Q2 2020. While one strong quarter doesn't make a trend, we remain nonetheless impressed with the progress we're seeing from Jim and his team and believe we are on the right path to margins more typical of our U.S. peers. Over the last few quarters, we discussed several key structural advantages that we expect to benefit from in the quarters ahead, and I'll highlight how these advantages continue to play a significant role in our performance this quarter. With digital, we continue to be pleased with the uptake in our online, online departments at our dealerships, which are responsible for taking online customers through the entire sales transaction, providing continuity regardless of whether the customer transacts completely online or comes into the dealership. We continue to see the consistency of our service across dealerships remain matched in the marketplace and provide a significant competitive advantage. Our dealership's online sales departments are supported by a dedicated home office team specializing in digital sales. This centralized support team provides training, pr- promotes best practices, analyzes, key performance indicators, and provides regular monitoring of the data and coaching. And it's all wrapped under our buy-from-home banner. We also continue to see good momentum initially in our digital use strategy, including our second platform acquisition in the segment announced earlier this week. In terms of our scale, not only are we able to hire and attract top-tier talent and support, supporting and training our dealers with best practices, the operating cost structure that we have in place Suggest we'll be able to continue to profitably grow the business. Canada OpEx as a percentage of gross margin was just 72%, excluding any government assistance. This beat our record performance in Q3 2020, all the while building our infrastructure to support future dealership growth. Our balance sheet strength is another part of our advantage and we're well positioned with dry powder to take advantage of our acquisition opportunities while maintaining our financial flexibility. We've moved net dev leverage from a high of 6.6 times at the end of Q1 2019 to .1 times at the end of Q2 2021. The benefits of our commitment to diversification efforts also continue to be highlighted in this quarter. Each component of the Auto Canada engine was in motion and played a significant role, from used vehicle sales to right ride, F&I, parts, service, collision and the strength of our U.S. operations. All of our initiatives are showing traction and are on track for continued growth. Building on what we said last quarter about our data advantage, our focus on leveraging our in-house data science team to make decisions about inventory was a key driver of our performance this quarter. The strength of our operating platform and balance sheet has enabled us to continue to develop organically as well as to focus on an acquisition and innovation strategy. Given our strong business position and available market opportunities, we see significant opportunities to grow as an industry consolidator in both the short-term and long-term. I'll speak to our pipeline at the conclusion of this webcast and provide a little more colour on where we're headed. Speaking of the market environment and the industry as a whole, clearly we're living in unprecedented times. and We expect the market environment to remain constructive over the next 18 to 24 months as vehicle production begins to come back and margins eventually normalize for both new and used vehicles on a sustainable basis. During this time, we expect to continue to show strong results and will continue to be disciplined with our approach, as we have been over the last three years. We've been building muscle into our business model, and we're now beginning to focus more resources on the integration of our pipeline of acquisitions. Our employees in Canada and the United States continue to work tirelessly, and they've delivered excellent performance. <laughs> Thank you to all of you so much we've we're we're encouraged by the very strong momentum across our business and remain well prepared to face any challenges in our current environment i'll come back to speak more about our business model and strategy in my concluding remarks but for now i'll turn it over to mike
2: thanks paul and good morning again to everyone on the call as opposed to speaking to some of our performance metrics as compared to the prior year which would clearly paint a favorable picture I'll skip back to 2019 to better demonstrate some of the progress that this company and the management team has made over the last three years. In essence, this speaks to many analysts' questions on the sustainability of our performance. References here will be based on pre-IFRS 16 accounting. Bear in mind that this TTM review excludes Q2 2020 and the various material provisions and subsidies we took into our P&L in that quarter. For the most part, this is a clean review of the last 12 months as compared to the first full year of operations for the new management team at that time. Trailing 12 month adjusted EBITDA at the end of Q2 2021 is 176.4 million. This compares to a TTM adjusted EBITDA at Q2 2019 of 48.4 million. It's worth noting that our U.S. operations have lost 13 million in adjusted EBITDA to the end of Q2 2019 as compared to generating a positive 14.8 million to the end of Q2 2021 a positive swing of 27.8 million over that same period our consolidated EBITDA margin improved from 1.5% to 4.3% operating expenses as a percentage of gross margin improved by approximately 33 percentage points moving from 105.9% to 73.2%. Used to new on a consolidated trailing 12-month basis improved from 0.69 to 1.04. A call out here to Canada specifically taking used to new from 0.73 to 1.13. Trailing 12-month free cash flow improved from negative 19.5 million to a positive 160 million, a swing of just over 179 million. And net debt improved from two hundred and seventy two million at the end of q two two thousand and nineteen to twenty one point six million at the end of this most recent quarter, bringing our net debt leverage from five point six times to zero point one times. The Canadian team has led the way in actioning and proving out the go forward plan. Our results show it. Jim Dubas and his u s team are now moving in the same direction. We have cleaned up our balance sheet strengthened our relationships with our lenders, and have dry powder well in excess of $300 million to complete deals without having to raise equity, while staying within our target range of debt leverage. Beyond these gains in our core business segments, we continue to see real opportunity across our strategic initiatives, including OEM dealership acquisitions, the build-out of our used digital footprint, the build-out of our collision platform, and the ongoing expansion of our near-prime right ride business. So we come back to the question of sustainability. We can't speak to the next quarter or the quarter after that. But based on our track record, we have clearly grown the potential of this business while also working to strengthen the core foundation of our model across
4: all segments of the business. We'll let the quarters take care of themselves. And with that, I'll turn it over to Casey. Thanks, Mike. At the
5: consolidated level, revenue came in at 1.3 billion. An increase of 553.6 million, or 76%. Gross profit came, at, came in at 217.8 million, an increase of 120 million, or 123%. Net income was 37.7 million, an increase of 288%. Adjusted EBITDA came in at 70.5 million, which was an increase of 65.7 million, or 1,360% over Q2 2020. In our Canadian operations, total retail vehicles sold came in at 19237 an increase of 6,184 units, or 47.4%. The Canadian operations generated revenue of $1.1 billion, an increase of 66% versus the prior year. Gross profit was $187.9 million, an increase of 109%. Net income was 33 million, an increase of 46.7 million. Adjusted EBITDA was 61.5 million, an increase of 53.2 million. Other key highlights include the following: same store gross profit increased by 89.8 million, or 103%, and our gross profit percentage increased to 18.3% from 13.9%. Same store used to new retail units ratio increased to 1.37 in the quarter from 1.01. Same store, F&I gross profit per retail unit increased to $2,942, up 12% or $305 per unit. Same store, F&I gross profit dollars increased 19.6 million or 57%. In our US operations, revenue was 192 million, an increase from Q2 2020 of 170% gross profit was 29.9 million an increase of 273.1% net income was 4.7 million an increase of 11.1 million adjusted EBITDA was 9 million an increase of 12.5 million from Q2 2020 new vehicle gross profit increased by 6.7 million and new vehicle gross profit percentage increased by 9.7 percentage points to 5.4% Used vehicle revenue increased by 413% and used vehicle gross profit increased by 469%. The number of used retail vehicles sold increased by 159% to 1,797 units. I'll now turn the call over to Michael Rollick to discuss our Canadian operations.
6: Thanks, Casey, and good morning everyone. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. We had a fantastic second quarter. There's no other way to put it. Every aspect of the business performed and we continue to drive operational excellence based on data-driven decisions and executing on our Auto Canada playbook. These results do not happen by accident. We want to extend a tremendous thank you to each of our dealership teams across Canada for delivering record results in Q2. We also want to extend a special thanks to our OEMs, strategic partners, and vendors who have shared the same vision of operational excellence and advancing the business forward. I'll take a moment to highlight a few aspects of the business that have shown great progress within the quarter. First, our new vehicle business continued to perform well. Stepping back to Q2 2020, when we outperformed the market by 20.4 percentage points because we remained open, we had a much stronger starting point last year. For instance, if we looked at the business as our OEM partners do and compared Q2 2021 performance to Q2 2019, for brands owned by Auto Canada, we remained ahead of the market by 8.5 percentage points. If we look at the used business, Project 50 continues to exceed our goals, as we sold an average of 76 used vehicles a month per dealership in Q2. Over the last 12 months, we've sold an average of 58 used vehicles a month per dealership, compared to 42 in the prior year on a trailing 12-month basis. We are also proud to report that our finance and insurance business same-store gross profit per retail unit increased to $2,942, up 11.6% or $306 per unit. As global leaders in this segment, the sustainable success of our F&I division is a result of leveraging industry-leading data analytics paired with in-house national training and development focused on maximizing opportunity, as we continue to improve upon the sale of products per deal and gross profit metrics. As we continue to further expand our presence in the industry and control vehicle ownership lifecycle, our go-forward initiatives and ancillary businesses, including Right Ride, our special finance division, wholesale export and Auto Canada Collision Centres, are making strong contributions to the bottom line. These businesses are strategic drivers, that are still realizing their full potential. With respect to right ride, we are very pleased to, with the progress that we have made in this area. We have developed a digital sales and marketing strategy enabling customers to apply for credit online and purchase a vehicle anywhere in Canada. This completely digital and virtual experience is supported by remote vehicle delivery nationwide. We currently have seven locations with four in the pipeline to bring our total to 11 standalone locations by the end of this year. A meaningful portion of our competitive advantage is a direct result of our operational analytics. Cutting-edge data warehousing technology, robotic process automation and applications, along with world-class reporting, are only some of the results of a focused investment in this area. AutoCanada is a data-driven company. We make daily operational decisions based on math and facts, combined with expert knowledge of our many long-term industry specialists. This scientific approach to sourcing, analyzing, and distributing data in a consumable form to our frontline decision makers has allowed us to unlock, unlock the potential of each dealership and OEM brand. Management and dealership team members across all of our business units have access to real-time dashboards that provide them the context to make optimal decisions. Data has played a significant role in our inventory management strategy, something that has been a priority for us since October last year, and we continue to be laser-focused. At the end of July, we had approximately three months' supply of new vehicles, not including our production pipeline. We have managed our inventory supply well and have moved to a more centralized coordination of inventory in order to better balance our requirements across the dealerships. In addition, we are focused on pre-selling inventory before it arrives on ground. We entered August with 65 days supply of used vehicles based on selling a minimum of 60 used vehicles per dealership per month. It's worth noting that 77.5% of our used vehicle supply is coming from lease returns and trade-ins. So we definitely have an advantage in this area. It's true that used vehicles are difficult to source right now, but we stockpiled massive amounts of used vehicle inventory during the winter through a dedicated centralized used vehicle buying strategy. This strategy paid huge dividends by allowing us to enter the spring market with ample inventory which also drives a high replenishment rate through vehicle trade-ins. While we recognize that Q3 will be difficult for production across all OEMs, we do not see new or used inventory impacting our sales pace into Q3. We are confident that the allocations we will receive will address our retail needs and that Q3 production will be somewhat stabilized compared to previous quarters. We're excited to share that we have established an acquisition and integration team in anticipation of our pending pipeline of acquisitions that Paul will speak to shortly. Rooted in people, systems, and processes, this acquisitions and integration team is solely dedicated to the full operational transition of dealership and collision center acquisition targets until their transition to the Auto Canada playbook and ready to be handed over to the appropriate operations platform team. Additionally, this team access transition support for the integration or reintegration of certain operational-related projects that affect change in the dealerships or collision centers. They also assist the mergers and acquisitions team with forecasting, due diligence, and facilitate the closing of the transaction. This was a tremendous quarter, no other way to put it. Some people are surprised by this performance, but we're not. Going forward, we're confident that our unique recipe of proven processes repeated day in and day out, coupled with the data-driven decisions by our specialized industry experts, will continue to help us advance our competitive strengths. Auto Canada's mission is to compete and win. To this end, have a look at the quarter back to you paul
3: thank you michael when we think about growth opportunities we often reference three distinct phases crawl walk and run
4: our canadian operations have clearly entered sorry the run phase and are primed to continue the momentum while aggressively pursuing growth
3: opportunities. As part of this growth strategy, we continue the expansion of our used digital retail division with the acquisition of Mark Wilson's Better Used Cars. It's one of Canada's premier used vehicle dealer operators. Mark Wilson's has deep roots in the Ontario market with strong brand name recognition and a loyal customer base. Dealership retails between 150 and 200 units per month with a facility capacity To recondition and sell up to 500 units per month. As one of the best used vehicle dealer operators in the country, adding Mark Wilson and his team to Auto Canada further improves our bench strength and talent pool and allows us to access best-in-class practices. (coughs) With our Haldeman acquisition in December 2020 and with Mark Wilson's in August, we're beginning to build that footprint of used dealerships which will support our used digital platform. Our U.S. operations continue to make strides as well. Having gone through a long crawl, we're now hitting our stride to enter the walk phase. Jim Duvas and his team have made impressive gains already in the U.S. market. For the brands we represent in the Chicago land market, as reported by Chicago Automobile Trade Association, we've outperformed the new retail market in Q2 by 46.1 percentage points as compared to the prior year, and we also beat the used car Retail market for Q2 2021 year to date by 59.7 percentage points when compared to the prior year. Our strong performance this quarter reflects the fundamental strength of our business model, and our oper- operational playbook allows us to be ready to execute on our next leg of growth and acquisition strategies. <clears throat> we remain extremely active in the buy sell market, turning over every rock and exploring every opportunity. While maintaining discipline in our valuation methodologies and approach to transactions, as valuations have not yet fully reconciled with the realities of the industry. In fact, through our extremely disciplined due diligence process, there have been some opportunities that we've had to pass on, as they didn't pass our diligence review or meet our strict hurdle requirements at the end of the day. We'll continue to be extremely disciplined as we evaluate these opportunities to ensure they fit with our stringent criteria. That said, our playbook allows us to overlay several growth factors onto acquired dealerships, most not available to other dealers or dealer groups, of which successful execution on just a couple of those growth factors can ensure we move beyond our internal hurdle rate. We also know the markets in which we function, particularly Canada, countrywide, exceptionally well. We believe this positions us to execute post-acquisition as well as anyone. We remain well-positioned to execute on our acquisition strategy in the coming quarters. We've established a significant transaction pipeline with dealerships and collision centers representing over $500 million in annual revenue, currently being evaluated under signed LOIs and purchase agreements. The LOIs, subject to due diligence, represent $200 million in annual revenue. Signed purchase purchase agreements for dealerships located in Ontario Subject to OEM approval and other standard closing conditions, represent over $300 million in annual revenue. Inclusive of brands, we do not currently operate today. We expect to close on these deals before the end of this year. Beyond these deals, we're at varying stages of the acquisition process, with other targets that have not yet reached the signed LOI stage. We're assessing this extensive pipeline of acquisition opportunities qualitatively and quantitatively with a goal of diversifying by geography and brand in addition to expanding our network of used dealerships and collision centers. As we've said before, we continue to be proactive and vigilant as to what the future holds with any ongoing impact from COVID-19. We believe we have stabilized the fundamentals of our business while identifying and developing several growth sectors new cars aside with our North American platform including F&I, parts and service, collision repair, near-prime, subprime, and used-only retail. Our team has been mobilized to approach each one of these growth opportunities with the same intensity and vigor with which we rebuilt this company. We're excited about what the future holds for Auto Canada and remain poised to take advantage of the disruption and consolidation in the industry and blaze a new path forward in the evolution of the company. Now I'll turn it over to the operator for any questions. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have any questions, please press star followed by one on your tone phone. You will hear a tone brown acknowledging your request and your question will be polled in the order you received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by two. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift your hands up before pressing any keys. One moment for your first question. Your first question comes from Chris Murray with ATB Capital Markets. Chris, please go ahead.
7: Yeah, thanks folks. Good morning, Um, you know, at the the risk of sounding, you know, kind of repeating the question, um, you know, the question does become the sustainability of of earnings and and Michael, thank you very much for giving us an idea of your inventory positions as we go into Q3, Um, you know, as we look at, uh, you know, Q3, this is going to be probably a a tougher comp because Q3 last year was, you know, probably the first quarter that we've really seen the, uh, the performance. Um, so a couple questions on this. I mean, one, um, you know, in terms of your ability to continue to retail used vehicles, um, you know, how do we see that continuing to perform? And then the other question is around um, the uh, collision repair and and, and maintenance uh, line, where you know we saw a sizable shift in gross profit uh, for our Q2. Um, just wondering if you could maybe discuss, uh, you know, you, the your ability to continue to sell into Q3. Um, and maybe what's going on in the uh, in the parts and service business.
6: Okay, so uh, I'll unpack that here. So we'll talk about uh, used vehicles uh, for starters. Uh, So the demand for uh, vehicles is strong. Um, There is renewed enthusiasm for vehicle ownership. There's lots of first-time buyers there's tons of pent-up demand in the system. Uh, and there's still people uh, that, that are still sitting on their money, waiting for the full cycle of the pandemic to be done. So there's still continued pent-up demand. So the demand on the demand side, uh, it's, it's strong. Now, the important thing on the used car side is, is to reference that data point that 77.5% of the used vehicles that we retail Come from lease returns and trade-ins, and so it's that replenishment rate that that will help us to um, to meet that demand. Now, although prices at the auction rationalize based on the Mannheim index and and uh, uh, the Edessa index and, and and stuff like that at the auction, that's in the open market where you have multiple bidders bidding on the cars. The lease returns are preset residuals that are not adjusted by current market conditions. Those were set three, four, five years ago. And the trade-ins are not an open market transaction. The trade-in is a negotiation between us and the customer. And they're not primarily negotiating the price of the used vehicle, they're negotiating the price of the payment of the new vehicle with the contribution of the used vehicle. So it's not a very clear transaction, and it's not an open market with, with, with lots of comp- competitors. So all that to say, we uh, see, I, I don't think anybody would, would argue the fact that demand is going to be strong for some, some time, and there's pent-up demand, and that based on the replenishment rate and the nature of how we acquire used cars, that we expect margins to continue strong for some time. We've often, and you'll hear this from people in the auto retail industry, multiple people, is that we are entering, have entered, and they're entering the golden age of automotive retail uh, for, for a number of those factors. So that's used cars. Um, Margin, sustainability of margins. If you compare, like every quarter we compare to uh, a basket of U.S. peers that, that we've been tracking, the AutoNations, the Penske's, the Lithia's, and so forth. And if you look at our margin performance, we are in the mix. We're happy to be in the mix, but we're not overshooting this group. And that's both kind of humbling because we have, we have more ground to take. The journey is, is certainly not done. It, it will never be done, but, but we, we, we have more ground to take in that regard. But it's also encouraging because the fact that we're not overshooting the U.S. peers speaks to the sustainability of what we're doing on the margin front. We're better than we were, for sure, uh, but, but we're, we're, we're just getting in the game. We're, we're, we're just, just in the league here with, with everybody else.
4: Okay. Let's,
6: last question. Uh, okay. Go ahead. Nope. oh the last part of that I believe was was part service inclusion, so yeah. we are seeing a return to the movement of vehicles we follow retail fuel sold um, year over year, month over month uh, we follow the mobility indexes out there and across across the country and we've been managing uh, using the, the dip to improve upon to manage our margin profile in in that whole area of the business. And then waiting for the volume to come back. And there there is a return of that volume, and that's a steady improvement. We uh, continue to see those trends uh, into July, and I think that we have an active summer of driving, which ultimately uh, leads to improved parts and service. In addition, our performance in F&I, which is primarily the sale of extended warranties and protection products that ultimately are serviced, and prepaid maintenance, and different products that are serviced at the dealership, that will continue to provide growth, embedded growth, as as these warranty and insurance contracts start to come to fruition.
7: Okay, that's helpful. Um, then my next question—I I don't know who wants to take this one—but just you know, thinking about um, the M&A. Uh, Story at this point. Um, I think you made the comment that um, You know, these will be brands that you don't represent Um, and one of the questions I had um, As you guys are are aware there's been some media reports that I guess one of the major US publics is thinking of coming to Canada Um, And certainly they represent um, a number of brands including some that you don't have because of some hesitancy around public company ownership Um, Can you maybe? um, speak to you know your thoughts around you know any impact around uh, brands being willing to do business with you folks um, you know be, because you may not be the only public company in Canada anymore um, as well as you know any any uh, you know color you can provide us on you know what type of brands you may be actually looking to, to add to the portfolio
3: so I'm not sure I understand the first part of the question when you say can we speak to that I I'm not I, I don't understand the question.
7: Yeah, sure. So what I'm trying to understand is, um, you know, some of the OEMs have been hesitant to work with Auto Canada because you ha- you are a public company. I'm um, just wondering, you know, if there's more public companies now in Canada, if you see their positions moving um, in your discussions.
3: So I would tell you, our experience is we don't have that experience, and we're, you know, having discussions with virtually all all brands. And so, um, I can't comment other than that. Then, you know, we're we're in the, we're we're having discussion with all uh, all OEMs.
7: All right. And then, any color on um, the type of brands you might be looking to acquire? Uh,
3: well, again, so the color is it will represent brands we own and don't own. And I think it's easier to figure out the ones that we don't own, and draw a circle around those and say
1: we intend to own them.
7: Okay. All right. Thanks, folks. That's my question.
1: Great. Thank you. Your next question comes from David Ocampo with Cormac Securities. Please go ahead.
4: Uh, thank you. Good morning, everyone.
1: morning.
5: morning. Now that the, the U.S. market is entering into that walk phase, can, can acquisitions now become part of that story? I, I understand you did one last year, but a bigger part of the story, maybe not even just in Illinois, but in other states
4: or even regions.
3: Sorry, my – My line is breaking up. Could you repeat that?
4: Yeah. So uh, the the U.S. market has improved
5: quite dramatically here. And I was just wondering if acquisitions can now become a bigger part of the story, maybe not even just in Illinois but in other regions or states.
4: So
3: that's a great question. I would say, you know, um, a year ago we were just looking at the U.S. um, to stabilize it um, because obviously if everybody remembers, and I'm sure how can you forget – I think the you know analysts and investors uh, had written it off for dead, and our goal was just to get it to uh, at least break even, so we could decide what to do with it. And we've been fortunate. Um, I, I can't even explain how fortunate we are to get uh, Jim on board with his team. They've now turned this into uh, a platform, and you know as. As we start executing against our initiatives in the United States, just like we are in Canada, um, we feel the same possibilities will open up to us in the U.S. And so, um, to answer your question, it's now become a platform,
4: versus before, um, it had beca- it, it was it was quite a burden. And so, again, we're still
3: early innings. We're proving out the thesis on it. And we're going to be disciplined about it, but um early indication is that we will have the optionality to be able to have platforms both in Canada and the US.
4: Yeah, that sounds good.
5: And with your leverage now down to, you know, basically nothing. Uh do you guys have an update on, on how much dry powder you have available? I think the last time you indicated to us it was close to two hundred and fifty million
2: yeah I, I can take that uh we'll talk about in excess of three hundred million. You can do the math to kind of get yourself back into that two and a half to three times leverage, and you'll you'll come up with a number we just we just give a broad number in excess of three hundred million, but it's obviously it's gonna be more than that we generate we actually generate a good amount of cash, and I think looking at free cash flow over the last twelve months um we're we are quite impressed when we think about what we're able to generate against what our fixed cash outflows are so again it's
4: we're exactly where we want to be okay that's my two i'll hop back in queue great thanks
1: thank you your next question comes from michael dumay with scotia bank please go
8: ahead uh hey good morning guys uh um, hey, great quarter <laughs> um i wanted to to touch on kind of one of the drivers of of the sustainability discussion um you know on the parts and service side there was a nice rebound in the quarter you're approaching you know 2019 levels um you know maybe you can give us a sense for the cadence there month to month through the quarter but I, i guess if i remember correctly 2019 parts and service wasn't necessarily a high bar for you guys i think there was some technician turnover as you tried to you know, ramp that business up aggressively. So, uh, just to get get a sense for you know the pace of the recovery, as well as maybe you know what the upside is. I don't know if you want to communicate that through um, occupancy rates or something like that.
3: Well, I'll my, I'll, I'll take it for ju- just a moment. The issue in talking about any of this stuff is we are in unprecedented times, and so you know you can kind of you can kind of step back and say. You know, to, to Michael's point, miles driven was down. It's starting to come back. You know, we're, we're looking at all these different metrics to give us visibility on how much it's coming back. And we know that um, new cars and used cars are in short supply, which means that the car park is getting older, so people are going to need to repair their vehicles more. Um, and so. I mean, there's there's so many different ways of looking at it, and for us to sit back and say, you know, we expect it to do this or do that in the midst of, you know, this recovery, it's, I don't know that we necessarily want to go there. What, you know, just using common sense, it makes sense to me that because there's less cars and more miles are starting to be driven, that people are going to need more and more service, so it'd be more customer pay versus warranty repair. Um, and yeah, you're right in twenty nineteen we had a low occupancy rate um we were you know hiring technicians, and we had um our our dealer mine call center really ramping up
4: and so I think the new normal hasn't really um made itself visible right now, and so
3: the sustainability of the parts and service business you know. I would say, I, in my estimation, this is just, this is my gut feeling, that over the course of the next couple of years, as there's a shortage of used vehicles and new vehicles, um, more people are going to need to repair their vehicles, and so I see that business being sustainable over the next two to three years. Um, but that's just that that's that's more gut than than data, and I'm sure somebody could take an alternate view, but that's that would be my view. Michael, I don't know if you can add to that.
6: Uh, the only thing I would add is that it's it's parts and service and collision are it's a long journey, and um, I think if you, if you look at the trend of our service business over the last number of years, um, that it's been slow and steady progress, uh, except for except for the impacts of COVID, and so we feel like we're back on the trail of slow and steady progress. Um, the positive Indicators, are performance over the last couple of months, I think the summer has been quite active for miles driven, and we're starting to see that. Um, Selling used cars, selling more cars will eventually have a delayed impact on service. And our performance in finance and insurance and selling protection products, prepaid maintenance, extended warranties for cars, all these products that are serviced by the dealership will eventually kick in and that will be a lag and that will be another growth factor that will really promote service. But it's, it is it is slow and steady, but it, it's worth it. Got it. No,
8: thanks for the color, guys. It's helpful. And then maybe just a second question. You commented on the inventory, but I wonder if you can speak to that versus your peers in Canada. I mean, obviously, in the U.S., the stats are available and the number is a much lower number, so three months of inventory sounds um, pretty darn good. Um, just to compare it versus your peers and you know whether or not you think there's um, a, a potential for share grab as things tighten through um, in Q3. Uh,
6: what was that last comment, shared what, sorry? If
8: there's a share grab, because you're better positioned versus your peers.
6: Okay, got you. Uh, the inventory question really varies by brand, and we we have to be a little bit sensitive to not calling out the challenges and successes of individual OEMs uh, but I would say you know for 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 one of the one of the OEMs as an example, uh, we were looking at approximately three months supply of inventory in Western Canada, and we were looking at the Uh, National day supply, and it was at 0.8. And and you heard that right. National was at 0.8. We were close to three. And so, especially in some brands where we were really able to bulk up in the winter and get production orders in the system and, and carry surplus inventory, we're seeing a significant competitive advantage. In other brands, we're running with the group, but we've increased our turn and earn. So we've increased our sales pace. So even though our inventory day supply is the same, our sales rate has increased, so that that translates into more inventory for us. But I think the question, if you step back from the new vehicle inventory question, is do we have enough inventory to continue our sales pace? Yes, we do. Uh, Do we think that our inventory strategy put us in a competitive advantage compared to our peers yes we do and then the turn and earn situation and the um, limited new inventory available will help to keep us in that competitive advantage uh, in that pull position when it comes to inventory
8: interesting yeah thanks a lot and maybe just to push on that a little bit harder when when do you expect inventories to normalize um you know if if ever again i don't know what your views are but um you know the timing of it and you know whether maybe this is kind of structural in the industry
6: so we're we're con it's a moving target we're constantly talking to the oems about when production comes back they don't have a lot of certainty but i can i can share i can share a few things with you that will help help frame it uh one is is we we just received a number of our October production allocations uh, for a number of brands, and uh, we were very pleased. So this is inventory that will be going to production in October and arrive on our lots probably mid-November, so we were very, very encouraged by that production. Now if you look at the size of the Canadian market compared to the U.S., roughly, let's just call it, we're the size of California. And so it doesn't take much for Canada, it doesn't take much spillover from the US for Canada to get their cup filled with inventory. It's just we as a country, we have to perform and and we're on a turn and earn allocation globally competing against other countries for allocation. But as Canada comes back and we produce, all it takes is just a little shift in US production to the Canadian market and and we're we're full and that's really what we saw in October and and we're very pleased. The other component of it is that indications from all OEMs is that production will be steady to slightly improving over the next six months. So as retail sales start to soften seasonally in the winter, that will allow us actually that, that stable production level Will allow us to actually start to build up and bulk up our inventory once again for the spring, and then we repeat the cycle all over again we've We've seen this i 'll end with this is that people in the industry have seen this play out before, most notably i would say like in you know the two thousand and nine era with with all the, the the chaos and financial and and oems and and that type of thing and the real exciting part is when your margins get reset because supply and demand rationalizes and, and puts the leverage back on the retailer, which is which is where it's at right now, and then the volume starts to come back with the enhanced margins. Now it takes some time, it takes it takes you know multiple years for for the system and dealers to give up these enhanced margins. These are normalized margins for us. And nobody in the industry is going to give them up easily until the full production cycle catches up gets ahead we get over inventory like everything cycles and then then only then there'll be pressure and margins to go down but like that's a multi-year cycle so once the volume starts to come back with these enhanced margins um it's going to be pretty special it's not there's so much demand out there it's not that sensitive or elastic that the margins will go away immediately they won't and it's going to take a while to catch up
8: that's great, color, Michael. I, I appreciate it. I, I'm going to try to squeeze one in, and I apologize, but for the targets with purchase agreement, I just want to make sure I understand that is the final hurdle, OE approval, or is it more than that?
3: Yeah, so that's typically it. It's not like, and and whether you, it would even be that for brands that we own. So um,
4: that's typically it.
8: That's good enough for me. Thanks, Paul.
4: Thanks. Thank you. Your next question comes from
1: Luke Hannon with Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead.
4: Hey, Luke. Hey.
9: Hey, everyone. Thanks. Um, I just wanted to revisit the, uh, the M&A pipeline poll. I think last call, um, what we had heard from you said that pricing wasn't necessarily um, where you wanted to be. It looks like, just based on the, the size of the pipeline and the fact that you've progressed um, you know, sort of in, in executing that M and A. It sounds like maybe that's changed. Can you uh share any color on that?
3: Well look, I think, you know, uh hindsight's twenty twenty and I'm actually thankful that we started many of our negotiations um and
4: signed our deals up when we did. Um, because you know expectations now
3: you know we're we're performing well but so is the market right and so um we have a bunch of deals that when you look look back um you know the in the rearview mirror compared to what um what sellers are wanting today they're extremely attractive and so we're basically executing on the pipeline of deals that we actually feel are um, are opportunistic and make a ton of sense from a synergy perspective that we can actually even buy down the multiple. And so, you know, we started this, this journey, we had, we had actually uh, met, I'm just trying to think, I think February of January, February of 2020 uh, to start down our M&A path, but obviously COVID um, COVID stopped that. And that said, we, we had a bunch of deals, um in the pipe at that time we just kept um working them and working them building relationships and so uh, we still have a strong a strong funnel to execute on that that's been been cultivated for the last you know couple of years
9: got it and then i'm i'm curious if you can share at all you know you talked about the 500 million in annual revenue that you have um in the pipeline but those are all under um LOI can you share Maybe quantify, maybe in terms of annual revenue, if that helps. Um, maybe the discussions that you're having with other dealership groups that maybe aren't necessarily under, um, you know, an LOI, but are still
4: interested in, in being part of a transaction. What would you like me to share? I mean, I don't know really Just, what, I
9: what mean, you're looking for. The incremental, maybe in in terms of annual revenue, um, the, the size of the the pipeline. That oh, I is, see.
3: Yeah. No, we can't. Okay. <laughs>
4: Sorry. That's fair.
9: Sorry. fair. enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, but on the on the $500 million that you do have under LOI, can you share maybe the margin profile of what those businesses typically like? Is it sort of in line with where you guys are at currently, a bit above, a bit below?
3: You know, again, it's pre-synergy or post-synergy, and this is part of our secret sauce. So we think we've got a bunch of acquisitions that are going to be highly beneficial for us um that you know we intend to announce as i think we said before the end of the year and we'll just leave it to you to be the judge of that and hopefully history is going to prove us right
9: okay okay that's fair um don't mean to be Mm
3: -hmm. so vague on it but
9: no no i understand uh that's fair um the the last one and then i'll pass the line here um as it relates to f and i um really good performance this quarter i'm just curious what are the the biggest levers or the biggest opportunities for growth? Um, moving forward here is it just you know higher attachment of those F&I products um to to the cars that you're you're already selling or maybe is there um white space in your product menu that you feel you can fill in just maybe if you can share some thoughts there
6: yeah you got it so it's the it's filling in the product menu um getting more products somebody something for everybody and then it's just salesmanship it's it's, we measure that by products per deal. Although we report gross per unit, what we obsess about is products sold per deal. And so we continue to grow our products sold per deal through training and analytics and opportunity. And it really is like baseball, like we said, Moneyball. It's it's so nuanced and and the the data is so granular. And then we find opportunities. We deploy our training team, we re- rework menus, rework product portfolio, practice, train, uh, track to to get the sales up. And that that business continues to forge ahead. Um, again, not on margins, and I want to emphasize that. It's not improving margins, it's improving products sold per deal. And you know, July, I just saw the other day that July was another record in, in F&I. So, this this team and the people that are selling just continue to amaze uh, with their performance. But it's salesmanship.
4: Okay, terrific. That's it for me. Thanks.
6: Thank you.
1: Your next question comes from Chrystia Friesen with CIBC. Please go ahead.
0: Hi, thanks for taking my questions. Uh, I just wanted to follow up on some of those M&A comments. I, I can appreciate that the deals you're working on right now, you're looking at a while ago where the multiples were lower but can you comment on how and if the multiples have moved up for current transactions and if you're seeing kind of pressure upwards pressure from uh from increased competition from US competitors entering the Canadian market
4: so
3: i didn't um so to be clear i didn't say the multiples have gone up i i what i what I hope I said was, I think pricing's gone up because every dealer's doing well. I'm not saying that the multiples are actually driving up, but um, the earnings of the dealers over the course of the last um, couple of years have gone up. So if you compare 19 to 21, like like I said, we're having a great year, and we've got the machinery in place to have you know record-setting quarters in the industry, and that's why we measure ourselves as compared to the rest of the market, right? Right. Um, but that said, every dealer is doing really well right now. There's a shortage of inventory. You don't have to discount your vehicles, um, uh, and and on and on. And so, so I think that pricing has gone up. Um, that that said, a lot of the deals that we are on and signed up to, and in um, discussions with, we we had started the ball rolling uh, a year and a half ago and because of covid uh,
4: many of these have um, taken a hiatus and then come back to life and so we feel
3: like we're dealing with reality when we're um, in our acquisitions because we're basing them off of um, historical numbers that we think are repeatable versus You know, where the industry we think is going to be over the course, as Michael said, over the course of the next two to three years. Like, when Michael said it's the golden age of, you know, auto retail, I I agree with him. Over the next two to three years, these are going to be unprecedented times. And that's because because of inventory shortages and um, your ability to procure and sell used vehicles and F&I and all of these other products that we've become um we believe uh, best in class at and so i would tell you that our goal is to execute on the deals that we have integrate them take a step back and look and see where the market is but to start from scratch right now um to go into the market and necessarily just go and um buy based on you know earnings from 21 or 20 uh I don't know how repeatable that's going to be in five years, so um, we're just being very cautious about how we deploy capital. Does that make Thanks. sense? Thanks. I
0: appreciate. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate the clarity on that. And then, just on the used vehicle side, I realize roughly 77% of your vehicles are coming from off leases or from trade-ins. But can you comment on what sort of what sort of increase in prices you've seen on the remaining 22 percent of those vehicles from say october when you when you started uh accumulating your inventory to now well,
6: well
3: I'll, I'll let michael no. talk specifically about that
6: yeah so i have to, i have to break that into into three segments so the one that gets the most airtime is is the auction segment so the public auction with uh drives all the headlines and um and all the, all the the public indexes. So from October to say now, the market uh, was, uh, what you could follow the index, but the market was quite, the index went up in the spring and stayed there for the early part of the summer and then started to come back in June. Um, right now I would say from peak to, which would be the beginning of June to say, Last week, there would probably be a 5% drop um, in the pricing of vehicles at the auction, which that's an important point of clarity. The segment, uh, the secondary auctions, which are the trade revs and the e-blocks and and the trading and buying direct uh, among dealers and rural dealers and, and different locations and that type of thing. Have, have experienced a significantly less drop. So where the public auction was about a 5% drop from peak, that would definitely be like about a 1%, maybe 2% drop on the secondary auctions. Again, keeping in mind that the public auction has US buyers and global buyers and everybody in it, it's, it's this massively transparent and the person who owns the car is the person who keeps their, their, their hand up last. Right. So that's the most sensitive from the pricing. Now, for the 77% of the vehicles that we have, uh, the acquisition pricing hasn't changed. And it hasn't changed really you, you know, all year. And that's because the lease returns, as indicated, the price is pre-embedded in the residual uh, when the contract is originally set. And then the trade-ins are, it's not a public, transaction and it's part of a multi process where the customer is really buying a car payment. They're they're not negotiating the price of the new car, they're not negotiating the price of their trade in, interest rates, they're 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 not discreetly negotiating each aspect of how to get that to that payment. They're negotiating the payment. And so we're we're more in control of our acquisition uh, costs at that time. So the real sensitive part of the index from a business perspective is that small, we'll call it less than 10% of our vehicles that we stock that are actually purchased at the public auction, if that helps.
0: That's great. Thank you for the clarity and congrats on a strong quarter.
4: Thank you. Thank
1: you. you. Your next question comes from Maggie McDougall with TIFOL. Please go ahead.
10: Thanks for taking my question. Um, wanted to just circle back on your used digital strategy. You had a bit of a timeline over, I believe it was a 36-month period to, to have that system up and running and hitting a few milestones, and uh, you've made two acquisitions of high-volume used car dealerships. Um, would be great to understand where you're at in that life cycle and uh, what we should be considering in terms of Of uh, progress markers over the next couple of quarters. Thanks.
4: Yeah, um, so I would say that I was probably aggressive
3: on timing. And the reason I was aggressive on timing was I had this belief that we'd be able to roll up um, used car uh, dealers in the same fashion that we do new car dealers and it's just not the case finding like high quality dealers that have a repeatable process is instrumental um to building up
4: the platform and so for us it's been a lot of uh, evaluating and
3: we had mentioned you know we've we've turned down many deals It's important for us to make sure that we're bringing on the right partners, and so I think I underestimated how it was going to be to roll them up. And with that said, I I don't know that I've underestimated by you know five percent or twenty percent, but I I definitely I I underestimated it. And so we're only doing these as they appear to be right. Um, As I've said, you know before I'm. When I question, the reason we're here is because of acquisitions gone bad and uh, we're not here to practice. We're here to to do it right. And so it it will take a little bit longer. If you ask me how long does 36 months go to 38 months, I I don't know the answer to that. Um, I just know that, you know, we're being very cautious.
10: Um, maybe maybe one for Mike. Uh, do you anticipate starting to break out the Haldeman and and uh, like the the separate sort of digital used quote unquote sales? I know I realize they're not the strategy is not complete yet, but break that out separately from the Auto Canada legacy used car volumes. Uh,
2: not not yet. I mean, we we have to wait to see, or we have to wait to get some level of materiality so we're very conscious of yeah. that right now so we're not going to be looking to break that out
10: okay and then just one final question um, and it's just a really quick follow-up you know you talked about the golden age of business for this industry over the coming years and I think I understand correctly what you're referring to is a very strong demand for personal transportation. And the impact that's going to continue to be felt within the industry for a number of years related to supply chain issues, which originally began as a chip shortage and has impacted a whole host of other parts and all kinds of other end markets. Um, and that's just a factor of it taking some time for global inventory to get back to basically an equilibrium with demand. Is that accurate way to summarize
3: Uh, that? Yeah, so I would say I totally agree with that. And I've also spoken to some um, OEMs, and the feedback I'm getting is that, you know, inventories could get back to normal um, pre-pandemic, you know, in the next year, year and a half, but that's not going to fill the void for, um, for vehicles that were lost as a result of the pandemic. And so there's probably a 2 to 3 year window of a shortage of new cars. And um and, and then put on top of that, a lot of a lot of used vehicles come from the rental car fleets. And mm-hmm. rental car companies right now have virtually no vehicles um mm-hmm. for sale and probably that's the last bucket to get filled as production starts ramping up you first supply you know retail consumers but the last the last bucket to be filled will be um the rental the rental vehicles and so there's a shortfall there and then then to couple that uh, to michael's point there's uh there's going to be a year or so gap for vehicles that weren't leased because of you know chip shortages and supply chain issues and so all that to say there's Going to be strong demand, uh, low supply, probably for the next two to three years, and we see that as being uh, a great opportunity to be, you know, a car dealer.
10: Thanks a lot. I'll pass the line over.
4: Sorry, Michael. Would you add to anything there?
6: I would say, simply put, it's a seller's market right now. <laughs> and it's, and it's, Sorry, it's I be, just said that. Yeah. And it's going to be it's going to be for some time. And I do want to emphasize one thing, just when it comes to the sustainability of margins and the auction and everything else like that, is to emphasize this factor that as dealers, when we're doing trade-ins and pricing stuff, we're constantly working retail down. So we have all sorts of systems and software um, that that take into account what that vehicle is selling for on a retail basis right now, and then we work our margins down and then we take our recon off. We don't go wholesale market auction up. The auction market is such a small percentage of, we'll call it the supply side of the used cars um, in Canada. It's mostly trade-ins and secondary sources and, and lease returns and commercial and you know on and on. So we do retail down. So because it's a seller's market, basically, right now um that that allows us a lot more leverage in negotiating and setting the the terms of pricing for all products uh in, in the transaction
3: but, but actually color. one last thing I'll just add is this is something we've we've talked about you know in the US and in Canada and it's a question we often get asked um because we're buying so many used vehicles and because our used to new ratio um is gaining gaining strength. You know how do you protect against a, a fall in used vehicles uh, pricing? And I would tell you that you know with Michael and the team in Canada and their data analytics, the way they've thought about inventory, um, they're able to spot trends on on pricing like immediately. And in the U.S., we've done a similar thing where Jim's built out a, a used vehicle only team that marks to market the vehicles almost on a daily basis, and so. We see pricing on used cars when it does drop, it to be a gradual drop, not like 30, 40 percent, the way it kind of went up. And so mm-hmm. we see that as a bit of a hedge against the business. And that's that's a question that I would be asking myself if I were, you know, everybody on the phone. So I just thought I'd put that out there.
10: I suppose one following question does come to mind and something we've seen in other commodity markets, quote unquote, not that a car is exactly the same as a commodity, but um where you get to a point where the price increase has been so substantial that the consumer turns around and walks the other direction. Have you had any indication that that is occurring or are we far away from that as of yet?
6: so i I think it's appropriate to to think of the car market as a commodity market to some degree, and so I, I agree with that comment. and the sensitivity of pricing is a good is a good question, and the way I would frame that is that people are buying payments, and that's the most important thing. So if you look at the percentage, like I forget the exact exact number, but it's over eighty percent of the cars we sell we' financing. And that's that's us arranging the financing for people. Now, that doesn't include the percentage of people that are putting it on their lines of credit and home equity lines of credit and what have you. So we're selling payments all the time. And the average term is in excess of 72 months. And we do a lot of 84-month um, auto, auto financing. So a $2,000 increase or a $3,000 increase in the car payment sounds like lots. But that's like... Four dollars bi-weekly on a payment. And so that's the nuance that makes these price increases less sensitive to the consumer.
10: Yeah, that makes sense. It's the same dynamic in the housing market. Okay, thank you so much, gentlemen. I, I do appreciate it. I'm conscious of your time, so I won't keep you any longer.
4: Thank you.
1: Thank you. Your next question comes from Trevor Reynolds with Acumen Capital. Please go ahead.
4: morning guys morning I'm just wondering if
9: you could uh, comment on any potential impact of uh, the online startups that we've
5: seen such as uh, clutch and and how you guys view that uh, that growing market
3: yeah so I personally have not seen any indication of it other than you know the hype around it um, I I would say that you know their issue is going to be inventory, and I think that's going to be an issue for the next two to three years. And so, um, from my previous life with where I came from, um, with building a brand, building a brand um, is an expensive. It's an expensive thing in the Canadian market, and so I think over the course of the next two to three years, there concern is going to be sourcing used vehicles and spending against
4: the brand that they need to build in order to sell those vehicles and so I I don't really
3: know how to comment I I don't know what the outcome is going to be but it doesn't um it 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 feels difficult um that's why we're you know we're the way we look at it consumers are going to want to buy cars Online for sure, and there are there are still a lot of consumers that want to buy cars in store and so what we want is we want to be able to cons- we want to be able to transact with a consumer both online and in store and with our 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 scale and size across the country, we feel that we're probably best positioned to be able to do that and in a true omni channel fashion being able to just be where the consumer wants to be. And so, you know, I I I don't really like I haven't really spent a lot of time thinking about um the Canadian players in the market. I've certainly watched in the US. That's usually a good indication of what's coming for Canada. Um, but I think I think the the cost to actually get something like that up and running
4: could be fairly significant if you don't have an existing platform for recon um and sourcing. Thank you. It appears Mr. Reynolds' line has
1: disconnected. There are no further questions at this time. Mr. Anthony, you may proceed.
3: Listen, we uh, we really appreciate everybody's patience as we con- continue to build the company, and um, we're excited about the future. There's certainly a lot of um, question marks around sustainability and what the future looks like, but what we have to build on is our our history that we've created over the last three years, plus the history of the company. So thank you for everybody's patience, and we'll look forward to talking to everybody on the next earnings call. Thanks a lot.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines.